Charisma Quotient. I'm your host, Kim Seltzer, a dating and makeover expert, where I will help you build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. the biggest cliche in history of dating. You're looking for someone with a sense of humor. I have interviewed thousands of men and women and hands down when I ask them what are some of the qualities they are looking for, sense of humor is definitely in people's top five. But since it has nothing to do with money, social stature, looks, things people often are most insecure about in dating. Why is humor such a big deal? I mean, there has been a ton of studies on this with humor and dating. The current science on this issue suggests that women are drawn towards men who joke. Like, they did a lot of studies on this. While men are actually attracted to a woman who will laugh at their jokes, or just laugh in general. And we see this on online profiles too, by the way. And then some researchers were curious about whether different types of humor were more effective in attraction and what the different types of humor say about motives for courtship. And what they found is, I mean, there's negative humor and there's positive humor and negative humor being sarcasm, self-disparaging jokes, being flippant, that kind of thing. Positive humor won hands down. It makes the potential dating interest much more attractive than the negative humor. Laughter is something that is so simple, yet it's, you know, so many don't do it. In fact, when I teach flirting, I often use humor, obviously, as a way to instill play on dates. And I always say that attraction increases when you can feel something. And guess what humor does? It allows you to feel something. It's, it's an endorphin hit. A lot of, again, research um, is based on that. I'll never forget, I was coaching a woman who said her top characteristic she was looking for was a guy who can make her laugh and have a great sense of humor. Here's the problem. She wasn't funny. Not only was she not funny, but she was so serious. And it was like every time she was going out on dates, it was like she was sitting there in the audience at a comedy club being a really tough, <laughs> tough audience member with crossed arms and a sour face waiting for the men to make her laugh. And we talked about how like attracts like. And for her to implement more levity in her body language conversations so that she could allow her humor to come out. And it was actually a big surprise to her. Like she thought that it had to be the guy that would make her laugh and be more humorous. But in fact, when she was more humorous and light herself, she started attracting that into her life. And so we practiced a ton of stuff. Like we would, you know, have her tell stories. We would put more emotion in her stories. I had her take an improv class. And she definitely was more fun on dates. So guys ended up liking her more too. So overall, humor compatibility is a real thing. And it impacts attraction, which then goes on in long-term happiness in a relationship, if that's what you choose. So people who share humor have a better chance of a fun and communicative relationship. And you can get through a lot. When, you know, like if you're going through stress in a partnership or whatever situation you're in, 
when you can see it through with some laughter, it makes a huge difference. So with me today is someone who is going to help me talk about this very serious topic of humor in a scientific kind of way, which I know you intellectual people out there are going to love. He is a behavioral scientist, professional speaker, and expert on scientific study of humor. As the director of the Humor Research Lab, he has spent more than a decade examining the antecedents and consequences of humor. In 2014, he co-authored a book called The Humor Code. He recently launched his second book called Shtick to Business. I love, love that, that title. As a professor of marketing and psychology, he teaches graduate courses in behavioral economics for the University of Colorado and Marketing Management for London Business School, UC San Diego, and University of Colorado. He speaks at Fortune 500 companies, public events, and universities around the world. He also hosts the podcast, which I just had the pleasure of being on, called Solo, The Single Person's Guide to a Remarkable Life. Peter McGraw. Hi, welcome. Kimmy, it's so nice to be here. No, it's nice to be here in your studio. So, <laughs> I, like, here, he is a fellow Santa Monica. Now, you just moved to Santa Monica, I right? I just moved to Santa Monica, yeah. Yeah, so how do you like it? Well, what's not to like? I know, right? It's nice, especially access to the beach and some outdoor dining during these tough times. I know. I, I remember when I first moved here from Chicago, and... I just couldn't get over the palm trees. Like, I was obsessed with the it's palm trees. like in trees. the movies. It is. Yeah, like and I have to say, after 18 years being here, I still appreciate the palm trees. Even on a stressful day, I feel like I have the ocean and all that. So, yeah, I think you'll feel the same. But um, anyway, no, I'm super happy to talk about this, like, concept of humor and dating because it's something that people just – they don't think it's as important as all the intellectual stuff. So I would love actually for you to share more about like your background and like how did you get into studying humor? Sure, sure, yeah. yeah. And I think, I think I agree with you that people, they value it, but they don't know how to think about it. Yeah, exactly, and exactly. And so your story about this woman, I think is an enlightening story because she's like, I value this. I know I want it in, in a potential partner but she doesn't know how to go about facilitating it because she doesn't really understand what goes into good comedy. Right, right. <laughs> and so I, st I actually, I mean, I really stumbled on this topic. It wasn't something I said. I, was, I wasn't the person who just was obsessed with comedy my whole life and looking for an opportunity to crack the humor code. I mean, of course, I appreciated comedy. I, I fancied myself as funny, at least by professorial standards, which are pretty low. <laughs> And so, that's funny, actually. Thank you. <laughs> thank very, you very much. Very low bar. Right. But I, um, I was doing work on what ended up, in hindsight, being a, a related issue, and that is, I was doing research on what makes things wrong, oh. and and, the, and moral psychology, and what I didn't know at the time and had to figure out is that wrongness plays a big role in what makes something funny. And so I, once I recognized that, that there was a question, what makes things funny? It's an age-old question. It goes back 2,500 years to Plato and Aristotle. Immanuel Kant has written about it. Thomas Hobbes, Sigmund Freud, people way, way smarter than me have tried to crack the humor code, but they didn't have what I had. 
which was the ability to run experiments. And I had been a behavioral scientist studying what ended up being in some ways kind of adjacent areas, studying emotions and decision-making and so forth. And so when I jumped into this topic, um, followed very closely, actually hand-in-hand -hand with a graduate student, Caleb Warren, at the University of Colorado at the time, when we looked at the existing theories, the explanations, they all were lacking in some way. And, uh, and the work that we've done in Hurl, the Humor Research Lab, I call it affectionately called I think that's actually Hurl, funny too. <laughs> is, um, is the things that we find funny, and, and, and I want to be, be clear, it's important to understand what makes things funny in order to understand the value of funny. Yeah, yeah. And so the things that we, we find funny are wrong yet okay, are threatening yet safe, or as we call them, benign violations. Okay? Now, a benign violation theory is a very useful theory because it helps explain puzzles. So, Kimmy, I know you like your models, you like your theories. The usefulness of a theory is not whether it's right or wrong, it's whether it's useful to answer questions. That is, that you can use it in valuable ways. So it's almost like polarizations is, is what you're talking about, too. Like, it's like the opposite, you know, because if, 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 if something's threatening yet safe, like, that's yes. kind of polarizing. You're bringing these two things right. together that don't seemingly go together. Yeah. That's right. And so comedy really is trying to hit this sweet spot between benign, mm -hmm. boring, violation to risque. And, and having this happen. So, 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 for example, the roots of comedy is in play, is in play fighting and tickling, is in threatening physical aggressions that are actually safe. And so when you look in the animal kingdom, you can find play fighting everywhere, and play fighting creates positive emotion. And it is often accompanied by a play face or what's called play panting. When the primate can, kingdom, chimps, bonobos, apes, monkeys, and so on, when they play fight, when tickled, they make this sort of <sighs> kind of sound, which suggests to the attacker, this is okay. I know that we're just playing. This is not a real fight. This is not something to truly be scared of. When you think about it, comedy is just, in an evolutionary sense, the application to all the other things that can be wrong in the world and the other things that can be okay. So for example, good wordplay simultaneously misuses a word or a phrase while from a different perspective uses it correctly. And it's that, it's that, that delightful feeling of recognizing that this thing that seems to be wrong is actually okay. And the laughter communicates to the world without language that this is fun, that this is playful. And so, so this, is a, this is a really powerful idea, right? Because, That's cool. Because it yeah. can explain, well, so it actually explains why a good sense of humor is so valued. And, and so you think about it. Well, one is we want to surround ourselves by fun people, by people who create positive emotion in our lives. And charisma. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. so why not all things equal? Why wouldn't you choose a funny person? Because they're going to delight you more often than a non-funny person. The second one is that 
comedy can be a form of coping. Yeah. And so it's, it's a tough world out there. Right. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of challenge. There's a lot of violations. There's a lot of tragedy. Well, if you are spending time with people, dating, friends, family, who are good at taking tragedy and converting it into comedy, taking the violations and making them benign, not only do they make the world more delightful and fun, they can help you transform the way you see and feel about the world when you can laugh in the face of that. And then the last one I think is, is especially important, and that's this. Because what's funny and what's not funny is not objective. It's completely subjective. And so when I make a joke or a quip and you laugh or vice versa, especially and vice versa, it suggests that we see the world in a similar way. We have a similar lifestyle, a yeah. similar set of values that, we, um, that we're going to get along, not just in funny situations, but in, in many other types of situations. And so it's no surprise that people are seeking this skill in their social relationship. I love how you just spelled that out so, like, scientifically. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know humor could be so scientific. I didn't even need PowerPoints. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was awesome. So here's a question. I, I would love for you to explain, you know, because there is a fine line with humor, and a lot of times humor can be used in the wrong way, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to dating. Like, I, I've been out personally, you know, where guys will, you know, come up to me or my friends or if I'm with clients and they, it's almost like they're on the stage and it becomes almost like they're performing mm-hmm. rather than like just being real. And could you talk a little bit about that? Like the, that fine line between like good humor and bad humor when it comes to attraction? Absolutely. So, you know, so again, so let's go back to the benign violation theory. Yeah. I'm keep my, my professor sport coat on with the patches on the sleeves for a moment. So there are two ways that you can fail in comedy, right? You can be too boring, you could be too benign, or you could be too much of a violation. Uh, and so, so yeah. you're trying to, now you're trying to sort of thread the needle, so to speak, which is very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. But there is also value in authenticity when it comes to comedy. So, so the way I think about it is this. Yes, of course, you want to make a date laugh or make a friend laugh or make, uh, make someone new in your life laugh. Um, however, if you have these canned jokes that you know just sort of generally work, you're not really being the person who you are. And so I have really counterintuitive advice and it's this talk about things that you think are funny oh i get that yes and if the person across from you doesn't think they're funny then they're probably not going to be a good person to connect and so there's sort of this what happens is there's this revelation that can happen where you're not where you're like okay i'm i'm executing a script well, he didn't like mm-hmm. joke A, so I'm going to move to joke B. And then joke C, you know what I mean? Like where you have this, this um, arsenal or this yes. know, quiver of jokes. I see that, that happen using. a lot. Yeah. 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 That's not, um, look, that works great for a stand-up special. Right. But it doesn't work well for these 
real improvised, impromptu experiences that we have. And when you get to it, most of life is improvised. And so I think that, um, again, now, this, this in no way allows you to justify being too risque, sexist, racist, insulting, and so on. Like, people will often hide behind a joke as a way to, um, to be mean. This is mm, not that. It right. is meant to be playful. It's meant to be fun. It's, as you mentioned in your introduction, it works best when positive. Um, and and uplifting and uniting uh, in that way, but I do think the world will reward authenticity, especially in the long run. I really like that because I know you and I on your podcast were talking about authenticity and how there's all this shape shifting happening, especially when it comes to like the people who tend to be people pleasers. And what I like about what you're saying is even using humor as a way to come from a place of what they think is funny, what they like, mm-hmm. and it's their identity, right? Versus what do I think they think is funny? I, yes. Because and so this is a great tool to use for absolutely. that. Absolutely. So, so I, I don't know, back in the, in the two, early 2000s, there was sort of this rise of the pickup artist. Oh, yeah. I, right? Okay. Do you know that I actually spoke at the pickup artist? Did you really? <laughs> so, which was so like... Not me, but it, it was kind of fun to see that world. I'm like, sure you did them a favor. I think, well, they were definitely um, interested that I didn't have the lines or the book yes, or the game that they all use right. yeah, for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've always, um, so I think on, I have a mixed opinion about pickup artist culture. On mm-hmm. one hand, what I like about pickup artist culture is it teaches confidence. It gets people to try and I think that the average person struggles meeting people because they just don't try enough. I agree. I agree. This, the thing that I've always disliked about pickup artists is that it lacks authenticity. It's focused on getting someone to hook up with you. It's not about building a connection. And so, so what you end up doing is you play a character, and that character is appealing and charismatic, you know, and so on, but that character is not you. What I want people to do is to become their best them and then they can build true, authentic connections with folks that's out there. And so um, that's, again, keeping with this idea of talking about the things that you find funny, recognizing that if there's not a match there, this is the lack of laughter is indicating a lack of match mm, that's there. Yeah. Now, that said, I have a huge caveat, and that is if someone doesn't find something funny that you think is funny it's not their fault yeah, oh that's good it's your fault yeah. so be quick mm-hmm. to apologize especially if your joke falls flat on the risque side of things mm. you know you just go ah, sorry that was meant to be a joke and i botched it and and a, and a honest a quick honest authentic apology goes a long way in that That's awesome. You know, um, do you have any tips for people who want to learn how to be funny? Like, I I know a lot of people, it it actually is part of their low confidence because I'll have like some women say, you know, Kim, I'm just not funny. Like, I, I don't know how to be funny, you know? So are there any things that they could do to like foster that? 
Yeah, so that, that's a tough, that is a tough question. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I have a, a few, few ideas mm -hmm. about this. So, so one is, and this is something that you do with your clients a lot, which I think is great, is one of the best ways to, to become funnier is to learn improv. Mm -hmm. Because what, the, what improvisers have done is they've codified a certain set of rules that don't guarantee funniness, but, in, but facilitate it. What's beautiful about those rules are they are useful for more than improvisational comedy. Yeah. They're useful for life. And so this is something that I wrote about in Shtick to Business, is I often encourage people, don't try to be funny, learn to think funny. And learning to think funny has all of these benefits beyond the benefits of funniness. It can help you be more creative. It helps you get along with people. It helps with cooperation and so on. So I'll give you an example of this. One of the things that I like, everybody talks about yes and, yes and, yes and, and improv. improv. One of the things that I like about um, is, um, I call, I, is this idea of listening and the value of listening. So one of the best ways to be funny is to listen and look for the opportunity, look for the thing that's naturally happening that you can then build on or play off of. The other one is this notion that we are all supporting actors. So if you take an improv class, you're going to learn very quickly there are no stars and co-stars. Oh, yeah. We are all co-stars in life. Our goal is to treat everyone else as if they are the star. And when everybody does that, it naturally allows someone to become the star. And so, um, so I like that idea a lot, is, is just to learn these sort of rules that happen. Mm -hmm. Here's a quick tip, though. This is the easiest thing. So if you are a professional comedian, you either instinctually know this or you pick it up on day one. I dedicate an entire chapter in the book to what I call uh, reverse it. It's thinking in reverse. Oh. And so what happens is that um, what you end up doing is saying the opposite of what people often expect. And reversals are just a very easy way to be funny. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to be funny, but it's a good way. So, so for example, Henny Youngman, he's the king of the one-liners. He had this, uh, this one-liner, I'm going to put you on the spot. I want you to think in reverse, Kimmy. He said, when I read about the dangers of drinking, I stopped. Drinking. So that's the, that's, yeah. what, that's what you would normally expect, right. right? So Henny says, when I read about the dangers of drinking, I stopped reading. Oh, I see. Right? So yeah. thinking in reverse is a ah. natural way. So, so in, um, in Tambourine, his Netflix special, uh, uh, Chris Rock talks about how he takes something that we all agree on, that bullies are, are bad. And he does an entire bit about how bullies are good. Good. Oh, about the right. value of bullies. And so thinking in reverse, producing an opposing perspective can also, when, you know, again, when done right and done in the right way, can, can have a moment of levity that happens. And this is something you can start to look for those opportunities and sort of train yourself. I think that's yeah. great. And I think along those lines, and, and this is something that I know that I've done or taught clients is like just saying an embarrassing story. Oh, yes. Like coming from a place of embarrassment also also has that kind of like 
whimsical, funny, paradoxical effect on you know what you're saying. So I'm actually glad yeah. you brought that up because that notion of authenticity, uh -huh. I think, is a great way. Because you know why? Life is messy. Yes. We're imperfect creatures. Right. And so it's really counterintuitive, but it is confident to be able to express your imperfection. Mm -hmm. um, so almost textbook is uh, this notion of self-deprecation. Yes. And so um, self-deprecation can backfire. If you're always self-deprecating, it's a turnoff. But to be able to do this, to be able to point out your weakness, your problem, the thing that might be, that might be there, is a way to make you accessible. It's an easy way to get a laugh, right? It's wrong to criticize someone, but it's, it's a benign violation to criticize yourself. Yes, that, yes. And sense. don't be the Debbie Downer from SNL. Like, that's not what we're talking about, right? Like, yes. like always like, wah, wah. Like, always, like, putting herself down and that kind of thing. But when you just have a little bit there, yes. you know, or something a little bit embarrassing that ends up being kind of cute. I always say, like, when someone... Um, so I have a good voice for podcasting. I also have a good face for podcasting. You know, and so right, right, right this right. idea that yes. you know that that um, you know you cute. don't want to see me on a television screen, but I'm uh, but I'm passable. Yeah. <laughs> behind the mic, you know? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a good example. Oh my God. Well, we could probably talk about this forever. I would love if you had any like parting words of wisdom that you could share. You know, in terms of humor and dating and. I well, really use this. yeah, I, I will say this is that we have a tendency to believe that the world's funniest people, the people are sort of natural comedians um, and make a living doing this, creating this ephemeral, difficult, creative product. We think of them as just being naturally talented. But really what they are is they're, they're actually more like empiricists. That is that they are, I say that vaudeville was the first lean startup. That is that they are constantly testing their jokes and their ideas and their style and their stage persona. And they're paying attention to whether the audience is laughing and clapping or they're crossing their arms and frowning. And so for someone who is interested in um, developing this skill and doing more than saying, I want someone who's funny, first of all, if you just, as you said, if you just say, I want someone who's funny, you're not going to find that person because that, that person is only going to be funny because of you. And so how do you develop cooperation and improvisation, as we've already right. talked about? The second one is pay attention. I believe everybody is funny in the right, with the right topics in the right medium. So I dated a woman who was you know, she was smart, she was beautiful, she was sexy, she was successful, she was great. But, like, our interactions weren't always very laugh-worthy, but she was so funny with her writing. Oh. So the text messages that I would get from her, the emails that I would get from her, were hysterically funny. You're like, can we just have a text <laughs> relationship? <laughs> but it was so, it was such a great yeah. element to recognize. Like, if you had met us and saw us in person, you might be like, oh, yeah, she's great, but, you know, you guys don't seem to have a very funny chemistry. But we did. It just was through a different medium. And so look mm. for where you're – build on successes first and then yes. worry about your weaknesses later. 
and that humor can come from a lot of different places. It doesn't have to be necessarily the comedian or the life point, of the party, the life of the party. And all those yeah. kinds of things. That's right. That's awesome. Oh, well, Peter, this is, this is great. Where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me at petermcgraw.org, and pretty much everything is there. I am on um, LinkedIn, also Peter McGraw, Twitter, Instagram. Happy to connect with people. Awesome. So thanks for joining me today. This has been the Charisma Quotient. I'm your host, of course, Kimmy Seltzer. And remember, you can build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. And make sure you go to my site, as always, KimmySeltzer.com. And if you listen to this and you thought to yourself, you know, I do need to lighten up and tend to be a little bit more on the serious side, then I have just the remedy for you. Coming up starting this Monday, January 25th, I am doing another five-day free flirt accelerator challenge to help you ladies flirt and have fun with everyone. And if you have a hard time being playful or feel shy or awkward when it comes to putting yourself out there, this challenge is for you for sure. Now, I know what you're thinking, Kim, I'm way too shy to flirt, or I don't want to look like one of those hopeless women who just flirts with anybody. But don't worry, I have got you. I'm going to teach you how to bring out your best, most authentic and sexy self while also not looking desperate. (laughs) Check out the show notes, sign up for free. You got to click the link and register. And I hope I will see you January 25th for our first lesson together. Can't wait. (laughs) 